Hello, moms. I have an exciting opportunity to share the next summit that I'm going to be a part of called Love to Learn. I'm here with the founder, Jessica, and she's going to tell us all about what to expect. Hey, Akua. Thank you so much for having me and telling your audience all about this awesome summit we collaborated in. Like you said, it's called Love to Learn 2023. We start officially on February 27th. So for all of your mamas that are listening, we'd love to invite you to the event because we are talking about helping teens love to learn. Awesome. In my session, I share about how the Be Call method can help you with your learners at home. And there are so many others who will be a part of this exciting opportunity to help your young learners love to learn. Thank you. We'll see you all there. Welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, introducing the new podcast, which is the place for moms to find encouragement, hope, and inspiration, where we're supporting moms in the trenches of motherhood. You will receive practical tips and strategies to address the developmental needs of your children with a positive parenting perspective in mind. Here at Moms Changing the World, we are moms on the journey of changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Hello and welcome back to Moms Changing the World. I am your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner, CEO, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and Parent Coach of the Be Calm Parenting System. And you can go to BeCalmParenting.com anytime and be a part of the free webinar that I have because I would love to be able to support you as moms who are changing the world and bringing more calm and joy into your parenting every day. I'm so pleased to have another episode with an incredible mom changing the world from the other side of the world, from where I am here in the California Bay Area, recording where she is in New Zealand. I'm so thankful to have Megan Gallagher joining us today. And if you've been around here a while, you know we like to start off with Proverbs, and I often will go to my culture in Ghana and Africa to share wisdom. But today, because we have Megan from a whole different community and culture, I wanted to have her share a few of her favorites that pertain to our conversation today. So as I, you know, open up with her, know that she's just an incredible mom, teacher, and coach. And her company, Ignite Your Spark, is something that we'll be diving more and more into. But first, before we get into all that, Megan, I'm so glad to have you. Welcome. I'm very pleased to be here. Very grateful to be here. Absolutely. And I'd love to hear a couple of the, the proverbs that you shared. Thank you. So uh, for me, I'm, I'm a Pākehā New Zealander, which means I'm not Māori, but in Aotearoa New Zealand, we are, are very lucky to have such a rich native culture. And 
it's one of these things that as a treaty partner, my my job is to enhance the, the mana, the esteem of the Māori culture. And one way to do that is through sharing the language. And yes. uh, in Māori language, the, the, it's very lyrical and proverbs are really important because they contain wisdom that is passed down through generations. And they also contain a whole lot of cultural knowledge, which yes. is absolutely beautiful. And so um, the more that we hack them, the more that we understand them, the, the more wisdom we can learn from the elders who have been here before. One of the ones that I really love because I'm a teacher and because I'm really passionate about health and well-being is this, and it goes like this, which means positive feelings within you enhances well-being. Um, mm. That was actually in our health curriculum document mm. um, to drive our learning and teaching. And it's really around, you know, if you feel good inside you, and that's what health and PE should be mm-hmm. enhancing is how we feel about ourselves. And it increases our entire well-being. Yeah, and that's incredible. In te ao Māori, in, in the Māori world, well-being isn't just about your body being healthy and well. Well-being is around mental health and well-being. It's around emotional health and well-being, around spiritual health and well-being, and around social and whānau, family health and well-being. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> Yes, here at Mom Changing the World, we are all about that. Yeah, and I love how universal that you know that proverbs makes me think about how universal you know positive emotions, negative emotions, and how we there are kind of recognizable across cultures, right? Nonverbal, like our facial expressions, are universal, right? Smiling, you know, is a universal conveyance, right, of, of that happiness and joy and pleasure. You know, when people are scared or frightened right? Or shocked, right? We have mm-hmm. a universal look and even, you know, hand gestures, right? That, that come along with, you know, some of those things. So it's so amazing to me how universal certain aspects of our human experience are. Absolutely. And particularly when you look at our traditional cultures, you know, it's the, the, that ancient wisdom, it's, it's as important, if not more right now yes. in the world. Yes. Um, and a lot of it ties us back to our connections to others. Mm-hmm. Um, another one for us around that ancient wisdom is And I'm still learning to Reo Māori. Got a long, long way to go. <laughs> and this was actually a whakatauki, uh, which is a proverb which is attributed to a person. Mm. And that was Te Whaihuia Milroy. And it means to forget one's ancestors is to be a brook without a source, a tree without its roots. And so that's really talking about know where you've come from. Mm-hmm. Um, stand proud and tall because of where you've come from. Mm-hmm. Not to let that go in our pursuit for the future. So we keep an eye on our past and that informs our future. And in and, and Te Reo Māori, on Te Ao Māori, they talk about it's not only just your immediate past and your immediate ancestors, it's your ancestors generations and generations and generations back. That's right. And that is a source of strength for people. Yes, and, yes, if we take the time to look to it, right, and draw from it. Absolutely. That's, you know, again, a parallel in the you know, Ghanaian culture is a picture symbol called Sankofa, and it's a, a Dinkra symbol of a bird that's looking backwards, facing its tail. 
And the idea of Sankofa is that you have to go back and get it in order to move forward. So it's that similar idea of looking back, going back, understanding, you know, where you come from and your family, your history, your tradition, your roots in order to be able to fly forward and really reach your potential. I love that. <laughs> yes. Um, with my, I have a, a Ghanaian sister-in-law, so this is oh. actually really lovely because we we haven't talked about this sort of stuff before. Yeah, so I'm probably yes. learning lots from you today. Absolutely, well. that's wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> um, and I have one more. Sorry, I'm yes, no, this is this is good. I love it. And it's called Te Fire Te Takiri or Te Waka or Te Waka, and that's. I thought that was really relevant to what we're talking about here today because it's about mothers being the hull of the waka or the canoe. Yeah. Moka were really important and historically for, for Māori to travel around them. It's how, how people came to Aotearoa, New Zealand in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it's really putting mums or moms at yes. the centre of that. Yes. At the centre of our being, the centre of our, our families, of our communities, and honouring their place. Mm-hmm. And I think I think for all of us, for all of us mums, uh, yes. we need to have that and understand that we actually have an important place in the lives of our families and our communities and our, our children. Yes, absolutely. That is at the very heart of mums changing the world in it, that we are that integral piece to the fabric of our family, of our community, of our country, of our world. And so that's a beautiful way to encapsulate that you know, the integral part of the canoe and the, you know, the, the traveling device. And they also, I'm sure, made their living and just so much was happening, you know, through that, that canoe and that device. And so in that same integral way, moms and moms around the world, you know, do that. And I think for us here too, I love that we can link arms and do it together because we don't, we're, you know, we don't do it alone. And so I am so thrilled to have you here. And the person who introduced us or brought us together is Laura Don, and she held and founded the Calming the ADHD Family Summit that we both got to be on the panel for. And so that's when I first came across, you know, your, your amazing work. And then she was able to introduce us and we've been communicating and connecting ever since. And so much of, you know, what I'm learning about you overlaps. I already feel like I know you well since so much of what we are about. <laughs> you know, overlaps really beautifully. So to tell you a little bit more about Megan and her work in New Zealand, she's a co-host, so a fellow mom podcaster at Teachers Matter Podcast and Teachers Matter Book Club, uh, as well as a presenter and writer. Megan has nearly 30 years of experience working in education, including many years focusing on health education and well-being. She has been working with learners of all ages, from early childhood all the way through adult education. She is a self-confessed neuro-nerd, and we love neuro-nerds around here, (laughs) and uses what she learns about the brain and how it works to support children, their families, and teachers to help them all thrive. Megan belongs to a local theatrical group, teaches guitar, and hosts an online community to support teacher well-being. At home in her free time, she enjoys gardening, playing card and board games, and cooking. And so I love that you're here and that your work, and you'll be telling us about you know, how you came to it, and, and igniting your spark is something that we are, are welcoming, and I think all of us as moms can learn and grow from. And so, so excited that you're here to share that with us. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about your family. As we're so, um, yeah. So we're a small family, a, a small nuclear family, a larger, larger um, extended, larger yeah. family. extended yeah. family. That's the word. Yeah. So I am here with my husband and our youngest son. I have a stepson who's a lot older and off living his life and mm. adventuring around the place. Mm, um, yes. And so we have an eleven-year-old at home. Mm. Um, we also have a range of, of animals and fur kids, and I'm just looking down because I can see my cat has <laughs> come over to see me. My dog is lying right. on the other side. Right. Um, we've got very, uh, we've got a large number of goldfish and a small collection of chickens. Oh wow! <laughs> we're very lucky because we live in a small rural town, mm, and nice. so whilst we're in the town, we have a little bit of a rural outlook, mm. and. We can have we can have a, a reasonably large space outside, so we're very lucky. Yes, for the animals um, to roam and play. Absolutely, yeah. and I'm very I'm very very fortunate because we unfortunately my father died when I was pregnant with my son, mm. um, with our youngest, and my mum was staying in the in the fam- in the family home, and so we actually moved to live near her just before my, our son was born. And so we live right across the road from my mum. Oh, how beautiful is that? <laughs> it is absolutely wonderful. So uh, whilst we may not share the same home, mm-hmm. we are uh, we, we see each other every day. Um, yes. Our youngest boy, he has such a beautiful relationship with his grandmother. Yeah. Um, because she's because right he there. Came, yeah, and he came mm-hmm. at a perfect time. You know, she had mm-hmm. some space in her heart that needed filled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it's been it's been an absolutely wonderful opportunity for us as a family to have that intergenerational thing going on as well. Yes, yes. So um, that. yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, good. And you know, in, in reading about your background, you know, your focus on um, health education is you know similar to my foundation as a nurse practitioner and the work that I do in that. You know, I spent several years, my, my first in, in my working life as a health educator. And so the holistic approach that I bring to the work I do with children and with families and with coaching is all kind of built on that, you know, health education foundation. And then Be Calm System is all about bringing well-being into motherhood. And, you know, the whole mindfulness approach is, is you know, very, very integrated into that. So I, I appreciate that your background is is very well, you know, centered in that. And then this theme that we have going this year is all about neurodiversity. And so then, you know, as a, as a neuro nerd yourself, you know, I'm sure you'll be I'll be asking and picking your brain about you know <laughs> ways that you know parents who are surrounded by neurodiversity, either their children or themselves as adults, and what are some of those strategies, you know, that that come into play, you know, as we talk. So. That's great. That's great. And I love that you're you know, also you know, teaching and, act, you know, guitar and acting and all of those things. So <laughs> things I, I music and, and acting are all things I love as well. So uh, kindred spirits for sure. Only distance is the issue, right? What's that? It's only distance that's the issue. I know, I know. And then we just need the time, right? <laughs> to do everything all the time. That's good. So. Yeah, I, speaking of you know cooking and food as something that you enjoy, I'd love to start my conversations around food and how we feed our families, right? As moms, that's something that is often top of the mind. 
And so <laughs> I, I'm especially curious too about, you know, how in New Zealand, you know, the go-to meals that, you know, many of the families, you know, tend to eat and how they eat and prepare those, you know, creations, mm-hmm. what the tastes and textures are like, and then what your family particularly likes. Yeah. So we have, you know, like New Zealand's quite diverse in its eating mm. um, and where we draw our flavours from. We have we have a, quite a, a multicultural society. So we've got lots of Asian-type flavours coming into our food and into our cooking, some traditional sort of the British kind of traditional foods. We have our traditional mm-hmm. cultural foods. And so we have a really diverse range. We were quite a pastoral country for a long time. So, you know, the good old meat and three vegetables kind of meals yeah. were a staple for a long time traditionally in, in our country, but we're mm-hmm. certainly a lot more diverse now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really lovely. And particularly in the urban centres for restaurants and things like that, you have these wonderful opportunities to explore different flavours and enjoy them. So in our family, we, we eat a variety of things. So I draw some from some sort of Asian recipes. I particularly like Thai kind of yes, flavors. Yes, That's my too. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've discovered tofu in the last <laughs> 12 months. Changed my life. <laughs> Never realized mm-hmm. it, was, it could be so flavorsome. Yes, we know so how, to cook, how to cook it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> And we eat a lot of vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have my own veggie garden. Oh, really? And not that it's been particularly well tended in the last couple of years just because of workflow, but it still provides us enough. Yeah. And yeah. so eating our own vegetables, and there's something really, really nourishing about that. Yeah, and more nourishing than going to the mm, shop. Yeah. yeah. Um, that also being said, I love to get my frozen edamame beans. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, cook them up in the microwave. Two minutes later, I'm eating beans. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm all about efficiency as well. Um, yes. And then us having our own chickens. So we mm. eat a lot of egg-based meals just because mm-hmm. of the access to the food. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of how we eat. I try to meal plan, particularly when I'm having a busy week. I, like I love spending hours in the kitchen if I can. But it's not really practical. <laughs> So right, we try to meal right. plan. I love the the sort of cook once, eat twice kind of meals. So yes. creating a bolognese sauce, for example, that will do two or three nights of different types of meals, but with mm-hmm. the same base. Mm-hmm. That certainly makes a huge difference to our day and, and to the quality of the food that we eat. Right, right. I love that. And, you know, it sounds similar in, in terms of, the multi, you know, cultural, multi-diversity that we have here in the United States as a big kind of salad bowl of different cultures and countries and customs and foods. And so it's nice to hear that. I think global eat, globally, I think we're eating in, in ways that overlap, right? The, the Asian infusion, right? The Indian spices and curries, the, mm. um, yeah, the, the, you know, traditional, you know, meat and potatoes, right? Kind of thing. But then many, like you said, <laughs> are also moving in that vegan and vegetarian and pescatarian direction as well. So, yes, and I'm all about efficiency as well. Love a good (laughs) leftover, right, that can roll over into something else. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And what about snacks? How do do snacks play out? Oh, snacks. We love snacks. I could live on snacks. (laughs) Uh, Again, it's, it's probably very similar to the States. 
So there's a there's a huge range of packaged kind of snacks that people can purchase, mm-hmm. and lots of people do. We don't so much. We probably mm-hmm. eat a lot of biscuits and baking here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not probably, we do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> need to own that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're really lucky because we've got access to some really lovely fresh fruit, so we always have a big fruit bowl. Some of the snacks, mm-hmm. particularly during lockdown, I discovered things like making my own crackers mm. and I really got into making my own crackers and hummus. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking about, look, honestly, my mouth is watering. <laughs> watering. <laughs> All right. The brain is working. <laughs> oh, it is. Come on, lady. Feed That's me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so snacks and, and snacks are something that, like, it's really interesting because my son often goes to his grandmother's after school. Yeah. And so that, that afternoon snack the mm-hmm. afternoon tea thing is mm-hmm. actually really important. Yeah, it's an important social time for them. Yes, and um, it's where she spoils him rotten with all yeah. sorts of things that um, <laughs> we probably don't have at home. Right, he loves right. he loves his Nutella on toast with a milkshake oh, yes. with Nana. Yes, yes, and so that's sort of how we snack. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that you you know mentioned the fruit bowl because. Not only is seeing and eating so connected, right? If the food is visually there and visually appealing, our children and us are much more likely to reach for it first, right? And grab it first. And as the ones who shop in our homes, we have a lot more control, especially when they're young, with what we bring into the home, right? And the things that are available. And if it's not available as far as packaged foods or snack foods, then they're not less likely to have access to it. So. Absolutely. One of the wonderful things that we used to do from, for our wee boy when he was much younger was we used to use frozen veg. So, you know, frozen peas, frozen corn, mm-hmm. frozen beans, and I would literally microwave them. Mm-hmm. And he would just, and only till they were not frozen. Right. And then he would just eat them as a snack. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was, that was one of the probably quite affordable Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, healthier snacks that he could have. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that was great because it didn't matter whether it was in season or not. Right. Uh, as long as we frozen. had the freeze. Yeah. yeah. It was there and available. Yeah, that's a quick one not to forget about because we often think that fast and easy has to be like the cereal, you know, treats and pretzels and goldfish and those kinds of things. But there are, you know, veg- veggies that kids can munch on as well you know, quite quickly and conveniently when we mix them up, pop them in the microwave for a little bit and get them used to that as a go-to finger food, right? Nibble that they can nibble on. Yeah. Good, good. Great. Well, we'll go ahead and shift then into, you know, your passion and how you, you know, discovered, you know, this incredible way, you know, of, of engaging with teachers and the community and children and, and teaching. So why don't you tell us about how you discovered your passion for what you do now? So it goes a long way back. When I was five and I first went to school and realised what teaching and learning was about, yeah. I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. And it was kind of like a driving passion all the way through, except for, very briefly, I watched a movie. It's a Mel Brooks movie called Flying High. Okay. And it's about a psychologist or a psychiatrist or something. <laughs> and, I, um, and for a little while, I... I toyed with the idea of moving into psychology or psychiatry because I was really fascinated by why people do the things they do. do. Yeah. And this was when I was about 12. Um, mm. 
but thankfully I let that go because later on I found out just how much work studying psychology was. <laughs> so I'm pleased I dodged that bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, so I was, but I was fascinated about human behaviour, yeah, and and very much a nerd, and mm-hmm. and in a beautiful sense, I really own that word because mm-hmm. I think it's a great thing to be. Yeah, um, <laughs> and so. So that was really a driving force all the way through, and it has been a thread when I look back through my career. Mm-hmm. It's been sort of this ongoing thread, and and it, as a teacher, one of the most amazing things is when you see the lights come on, yeah. when you see people thrive, yeah. when you it's it's just it's it's so soul filling, and so as I went through my career, I found that we could there were places where I did that when I was working with adults. Mm-hmm. when I was training teachers, when I was managing other people. And so that's where the coaching came in because basically it's it's all about teaching and learning. Yeah. And it's all about helping people to connect with their own innate wisdom and help them to see that their world is bigger than than maybe the narrow focus they have on it at the moment. You know, we can have we can have a torch-like beam or a spotlight. On, on the things that aren't working for us, but we lose that big picture. Right. And I like to think that with Igniting Your Spark is a little bit like putting the floodlights on and actually lighting up the world mm-hmm. for people so they can see that there's more there for them. Yeah. And they've got more inside them than what they mm-hmm. ever thought they had. Absolutely. Yes. It's always fascinating to me when people know as young as five years old, you know, what their interests are. And oftentimes as children, you know, we, it's the seeds that are there, right? Even if it shifts and evolves like it did for you, it, um, you know, same for myself. I, you know, knew what my interests were and and just how children develop and child development, but it took growing up and being exposed to a variety of things to, to figure out how to plug into that. And, you know, my own, you know, unique way. So I love hearing when others know at a young age, you know, what that desire is, right? To help people learn to see that light bulb go off, to see that spark ignite. Yeah, that's incredible. And so then, you know, how did motherhood fit into that, uh, that evolution? Oh, motherhood was a real surprise for me. <laughs> um, so I met my stepson when he was 11. Uh-huh. And the funny thing for him and I was that I had actually taught him in the health program that I'd that mm. I was delivering at the time. Interesting. So, so you were a teacher meeting. first. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so at one stage I traveled around a large number of schools delivering a particular health program. Yes. And his school was one of the schools I'd been to. And I remember our first meeting, he just stared at me. And then afterwards he told his father that. I was smaller. <laughs> and then he remembered. <laughs> right. I don't quite, I just never really knew how to take it. <laughs> right, right. As an adult, now we know that because they get bigger, adults get smaller. <laughs> yeah. That but was yes, quite funny. Adults can be a bit larger than life and teachers too. I, I have a huge respect for teachers because they can have that life-changing mm-hmm. impact right, on children and, and what they remember and what they have they've learned. You know, I remember all of my teachers, you know, elementary school and my favorite ones, you know, beyond that. So I love that you not only, you know, worked directly with children, but then you also support teachers. Tell us a little bit about that. So supporting teachers for me is, well, I think basically I did some research a few years ago to do my master's of education. 
And really the key principle that came out of that was that happy, healthy teachers Mm -hmm. tend to have happier, healthier classrooms where students do better academically, socially and emotionally. And when I talk about happy, healthy teachers, I'm not talking about Pollyanna, deliriously happy (laughs) um, fitness freaks. What I'm really talking about is contented and resilient teachers. It just doesn't roll off the tongue quite so well as happy, healthy. Um, <laughs> but it's really about that resilience. And, mm. and you know, like across the world, I look at education systems, I'm a bit mm. passionate about that sort of thing. And for me, the thing that I think that all governments, a little bit political here, but if all governments, they keep talking about wanting to raise student achievement. Personally, I think if they invested in teacher well-being, they would raise automatically. Yeah. Automatically, yeah. And I think that would be the best investment and probably the cheapest and easiest investment mm. to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would make such a tremendous difference across across the world, across the different systems. Right. Because teachers right. really do make the difference. You know, we when I worked with the health organization that I worked with. We had these huge, big mobile classrooms that were mm-hmm. on the back of a truck. Wow. And we had all sorts of technology in there. You could flick on lights. We had puppets. We had bodies that came out of the wall that lit up. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it was an amazing environment. Mm-hmm. So obviously it was engaging for the children to come in too. Yeah. However, I used to tell my colleagues time and time again that the technology will not work without you. Right. And that the pivotal resource in the mobile classroom was the educator, right. not the gadgets. Right. We brought the gadgets to life by what mm-hmm. we did. Mm-hmm. But actually, if we weren't there, they would have been nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think in every classroom, that teacher in that classroom is, is the one person that makes the biggest difference. And so spending time for teachers, giving them resources, tools, strategies, support, makes a huge difference to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So then how would you summarize kind of how you impact children and teachers through your work? Um, specifically. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> specifically. Uh, so my, my core work really for teachers is around teaching and learning with the heart and brain and mind. So I spend a lot of time talking to teachers around how our brain works how we can use that knowledge to create classroom environments that are supportive and safe for children to learn in. Mm -hmm. And so that appreciation of of emotions and the big interplay that emotions have in in our human behaviour, I think is really pivotal. And it's not only about understanding that as a teacher for your students, but it's understanding that as a teacher for yourself Mm -hmm. and for your relationships with with families, with parents, with colleagues, because we've all got a brain. We all have these beautiful big hearts and these emotions and learning how to navigate them helps to make us a happier, healthier person. That's awesome. Yes. And I think the woman who kind of brought us together, Lara Dawn, also talks love beautifully about that. When you finish listening to this episode, I encourage people to go and, and check out episode 43, where she talks about that. And then another person who was on the panel, Sarah Nykeruk, was also an educator who has a very similar way, right, of talking about the importance of the, yes, the the teacher and the connection and the learning and making it 
an exciting, just beautiful, lovely, you know, powerful experience for all. So yeah, I, I love that, you know, you share in that incredible mission and that incredible work in, in all that you guys do. And it's important yeah. work internationally, I think. It is. It is. And I love that. Yeah, you are also in different corners of the world, right? Impacting it. And I love that our global society, right? The, the internet and with even the pandemic showing us really how small our world actually is, is allowing, you know, teachers, you know, as, and educators as yourself, you know, from New Zealand to have an impact on teaching and teachers, you know, here in the States or, you know, on, on other continents, right? And in, in Europe yeah. and Africa and all of that. So it's beautiful. That was part one of a two-part interview with educator and coach Megan Gallagher. Join us for part two, where she dives into how she talks to young people about diversity and how she prioritizes self-care in the midst of juggling all that she does. Thank you. For listening to Moms Changing the World with host Akua Walker. The information shared on this show is meant for educational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for medical intervention or professional therapy. All views shared on the show are that of the speakers only and do not represent any institution. To be a part of the community, visit www.momschangingtheworld.org. There you'll find ways to connect with and support the moms we interview and find out how to work with Akua as a parenting coach. Join us next time for more encouragement and support to be a mom changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.